Welcome to another episode of the Colin and Samir show and another episode of Creator Support. Samir, you ever go to the gym and you're lifting too much weight and you need someone to spot you? I had that concern this week, but luckily I didn't need a spot. Well, eventually you might need someone to spot you. Okay. And when that happens, Mm -hmm. it's pretty similar to what we do on this show for creators, right? You're bearing a lot of weight. You're, 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 you got a lot of responsibility as a creator. You got a lot of things going on and sometimes you just need some help. That's what we do here on the series creator support. Wow. That was a roundabout way of saying that. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I just came up with that. It is VidCon week here at Colin and Samir Studios. And the first thing we're going to do right after the intro song to this show is tell you a story about VidCon, which is a really funny story. I can't wait to tell it. But on this episode, we are going to answer a question from a creator uh, named Tejas, who submitted a question that we haven't heard, so we'll hear it at the same time as you. We're also going to talk about short-form content, as well as when you should start promoting your brand on YouTube. We're also going to react to some of the top headlines in the space. Emma Chamberlain coming back to YouTube, a report that YouTube just put out, and Mark Rober launching his Crunch Labs. A lot of stuff going on on this VidCon week edition of the Colin and Samir show. And if you're new here, I'm Colin. This is my voice. This is what I sound like. And I'm Samir. And we've been working together as creators for the last 10 years, primarily on YouTube. And now for this show, we take questions from creators, whether it be our Reddit, our slash Colin and Samir, our newsletter, the published press, or on Twitter, Instagram, or in the YouTube comments. All right, here we go. All right, in honor of VidCon this week, Colin. Yes. Do you remember the last VidCon we were at? I do. I don't remember the exact year, but I remember hanging out with Brody Smith. Oh, wow. You're right. Yeah, that's YouTuber a YouTuber and ultimate Frisbee creator. Yes. Yeah. Frisbee trick shot creator, Brody Smith. So at this VidCon, Colin and I had been working in sports, you know, and we, we were also creators that, you know, were creating sports content. And because of that, we had started to get some meetings with brands who wanted us to be, you know, faces of their YouTube campaigns or, you know, doing YouTube specific content with them. One of those brands was Nestle. Now, Nestle was launching a chocolate milk with protein in it. This was geared towards like the 13 year old kid who plays soccer or sports who wants to come home and drink a chocolate milk because it had protein in it. Okay. I'm with you. I'm following. I mean, you were there. So... We get this meeting with Nestle and we walk in to the hotel lobby and there's about 12 people, people from the agency, people from Nestle. They are all sitting in kind of a semicircle. We walk in and you know, those awkwardly long walks where you see someone and you're like, they see us, we see them, but there's still about 50 feet between us. And now you don't know if you're supposed to look up straight at them to the left down. You have no idea where you're supposed to look. Wow. This is a story about VidCon and it's a gripe. Yeah. I mean, this also came into play yesterday and we'll tell you that later, this exact situation. But by the time we approached them, what we noticed is they were all kind of like whispering to each other in this excitement. They're like, nodding their heads, nodding their heads, looking back at us. So from that moment, I was like, oh my God, whatever this is, we got it. We got this deal. We're going to be the face of of Nestle's Nestle chocolate milk, new protein chocolate milk. So then as we sit down, they start talking to us about it. And the first thing they say is, you know, who it's for, who they're trying to attract. They're like, you know what? It's for the guy 
who, when he goes and gets the groceries and carries it up a flight of stairs, he feels like he really did something that Mm -hmm. day. It's for the guy who's casually in shape. And it was in that moment that we realized when we were walking up for those 50 feet, they were excited because they were like, those guys are casually in shape. (laughs) They're not really in shape, not intentionally in shape. (laughs) Yeah, not intentionally in shape. They're carry the groceries up a flight of stairs in shape. They're guys who don't focus on fitness at all. Right. But are fortunate to be somewhat, kind of, (laughs) a little bit in shape. (laughs) So that was our experience at the last VidCon. And we didn't get the campaign. And my hope is that we were actually- Too in shape. Too in shape. Yeah, agreed. But that VidCon, I think, was like 2017. Yeah. It was a long time ago. We haven't been to VidCon in a long time. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Our Colin and Senior YouTube channel, for reference, probably had around 20,000 subscribers at that time. I actually don't think we had it yet. Mm. 2016. Um, Then maybe it was 2016. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but it was definitely before this iteration of who we are today. True. Um, One thing I'm very excited for is Tommy Innit and the group from the Dream SMP are having a happy hour. If you don't know what that is, what I just said out loud, check out our video, The Story of Carl on YouTube, and you'll get a better sense of what the Dream SMP is and, you know, these Minecraft creators and this like rabid fandom they have, but we were with Tommy in it yesterday. And I bring this up because also that story about us approaching the team at Nestle, very similar to how Tommy in it came to our office yesterday. He was on the corner of, of the block, which was like maybe more than 50 feet away. And we came out to meet him and we couldn't make the decision if we were supposed to walk towards him or wait. And then while we waited, if we were supposed to look at him. So we all, we just pretended we were having a conversation. If you're on the edge of your seat, The way that it transpired was we just acted like we were having a conversation. Yes. Great conversation with Tommy. I'm excited to see them and, and, or him and and, uh, everyone from the Dream SMP. I'm very fascinated by that whole scenario. So outside of that, this week, outside of VidCon, there's a lot of other interesting news happening in the creator space. Emma Chamberlain is back on YouTube. Yeah. Our entire office watched her video this morning. Mm -hmm. My first thought was, oh, wow, someone else is filming her. She's not filming herself. And she's out in public interacting with people, which was not something she generally did. She usually would shoot just from the confines of her own home or a hotel room. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about the world of, you know, someone else filming her while she goes about her life. That actually is a completely different context. I remember we used to talk about this, you and I. I personally would really enjoy that. I think it would be really interesting to have, like, get to live life and have a camera operator around me following and getting to, like, showcase what that is like. I'd be really interested to even just like watch it back. I'm more comfortable with that now than I was maybe three or four years ago when you brought it up. Yeah. I just didn't like the idea of giving up that control. Right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to watch her through that lens. I think as she's, you know, become what we refer to as post-platform, meaning like Emma does not need to post on YouTube for her to be relevant. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't posted in six months and, yeah, you know, this video, it's, we were talking in the office this morning. It's not like you don't really watch an Emma Chamberlain video and then have some sort of mind-blowing reaction or, or, you know, super profound thought, but you just get to spend time with her. It's like an 18-minute video and you're just kind of getting to hear general thoughts that come through her head about what she's eating or what right. she's doing. And it feels just like a slice of life. And, and that's kind of why you tune in now. It's just for like comfort. And yet that is number two on trending right now on YouTube, probably alongside some very expensive videos right. with wild concepts and that, that are there to kind of have you have that shock moment mm-hmm. are right alongside her video. And 
it's hers is really just, you know, spend time with me and it's been six months, but here I am, I'm back. I mean, also read alongside with what Ryan Trahan's doing. Like, even though the concept as a whole is kind of like this shock value, right? It, the day-to-day -day is is pretty like, hang out with me, this is what happened today. And sometimes it's more interesting than others. Like 30 days of this is not, not every day is super interesting. But that kind of brings up, you used the term comfort there. That brings up this report that YouTube just put out. They put out this report around the culture and trends around YouTube and made some definitions around creators that we hadn't heard before. Yeah, they they declared, they came up with definitions for three different types of creators, which I, I found interesting. One of which was this comfort creator, which a certain percentage of Gen Z said that there are certain creators that they go back to when they feel like they need a sense of comfort or calm. And there's another type of creator that they deemed the hybrid creator. The example they gave there was you've got Mr. Beast who makes a certain type of video on his main channel, and then you've got Beast Reacts, you've got Beast Gaming, mm -hmm. and you're starting to see these creators that have multiple different channels that serve different audiences and show different sides of themselves. The last one was professional fans, mm. which I think we were, would be considered a part of. And they say there that there's so much happening in culture and it's moving so quickly. One of their studies said that like a certain percentage of people said they feel overwhelmed with you know the amount of news and sort of mass culture. And that now there are these professional fans who add a more nuanced lens to what happens in different segments of culture. And they sort of break down what's happening in these different areas. And we would be definitely part of that group. For sure. But I've never thought of ourselves as professional fans. But yeah, like we are fans of creators. Yeah, like we're fans of really space. That really is what we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's super interesting. I, I also wouldn't have thought of us as, as that. But I, I think it's interesting to like put us into that category. Also, when it comes to comfort creators, that's probably the type of content I watch the most on YouTube. Really? Comfort creators. Yeah. Like who would be your who would be your comfort creators? There's so many creators that I'll just watch basically whatever they do. I think Emma is one of them, Ryan's one of them. Um I even go back and watch old Casey Neistat vlogs just because I think it's like it's almost like watching reruns of The Office for me. Mm. Like I just enjoy if I have nothing else to watch, I'll just watch one of those. And you already kind of know what happens or you know what to expect. And I think there's a comfort in that of knowing what to expect, which is contrarian, right? To, to say that right now on YouTube, retention is so much of give me something that I, I don't know. I, I'm, I can't expect what's going to happen at the next turn. But I think a lot of people watch content for comfort. Yeah. Especially when creators become reoccurring characters. You know, I used to watch Yes Theory mm -hmm. a lot because of the fact that we were friends with them. And I wanted to just hear their voices and see what they were up to. And I still do that with them, but I also yeah. do it with now that we've met so many different creators, you know, I'll watch some of Marquez's videos, even if I'm not necessarily interested right. in the tech, mm -hmm. but just because I have a comfort level with Marquez. I have like, I remember what it was like to be in his studio yeah. and I just want to see what he's up to. It's like, oh, it almost provides me a sense of comfort as a creator to watch some of our friends and just see that we're all still doing this thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah, know if yeah. I'm explaining I, I that know well. What you're saying. But like, I just want to see, what are you up to right now? You know what's interesting? I like watching Yes Theory's second channel right now, Seek Discomfort. Same. I think that's like the most fun because it's it's the formats that they used to do. And I'm like comfortable with those formats. And some of the content on their, their, their channels now on Yes Theory is like brand new stuff. And that's fun to watch, but it's almost like this more of a mental commitment to it because you're like, this is going to be new. 
But when mm. I watch them do something that I've already seen them do, it's like comfortable. I'm, I know what to expect. Yeah. And I also think it, sh it shows all their personalities so much on the second channel right now. Yeah. Which is something I feel like is second channel syndrome for a lot of creators where they have so much more flexibility on the second channel fluidity. They're not as concerned. So you're getting a more relaxed version of them. That's definitely the case for us. That's how we start our podcast. And that's where like our outtakes are now. Like it's so fun to post those on the second channel because you just have no pressure. It's just like, here's some fun things that we think are funny. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I have no idea how many views those get. Such a refreshing experience. Yeah, I don't even really care. I'm amazed that we have any sort of viewership on that channel. Yeah. I titled our last video on our second channel, Only Watch If Your Name Is Tim. Right. How many views is that? About 5,000 views. Well, I mean, there's probably more than 5,000 Tims out there. Uh, yeah. So The last thing before we get into the questions is to talk about the, the Canadian Bill C-11, I think is what it's called, but we covered it in the published press. It's essentially this bill that, that suggests that the YouTube homepage, uh, YouTube, you know, recommended and how content shows up on YouTube in Canada will now be controlled by the Canadian Radio and Television Committee. And that passed. And I think that's a pretty big deal. There's a lot of Canadian creators who were really advocating against it because they didn't want to have to think about the Canadian Radio and Television Committee. They wanted to just think about the audience and the algorithm. And... It's also interesting for people like us. Um, you know, if there's a more Canadian version of, of Colin and Samir, the CRTC might favor that over watching an episode of Colin and Samir, right? And I think that's a really interesting I know this step. is serious, but I, in my head, as you said, a more Canadian version <laughs> of Colin and Samir. Right. I was just imagining us saying like a boot and talking about hockey. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah, Canadians yeah, yeah, do, yeah, Samir. Yeah, I, don't yeah. know. I know. I don't know what Canadians know. do either. But, you know. I do think it's a it's a pretty big deal in our space. Um, I think it potentially has the opportunity to to set precedent. Even YouTube themselves were against it. You know, they put out a blog post that were like, "We don't want this to pass." So it's it's a pretty interesting thing because that would be that would be a weird reality if the the U.S. you know had more control over what was on the the homepage and recommended for. YouTube. It's very nice for it to be a more democratic system of, you know, what's working is working and, you know, that's it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Canada's YouTube becomes a little bit more manual. Yeah. Or if it really does at all, if it yeah. changes that much, who it, knows? It's also possible it doesn't have much of an impact. Yeah. Because you know? I, I, I doubt this decision was made from a propaganda perspective, right? It was made to, from what I understand, like protect the traditional media industry in Canada. Right. Uh, and I guess make sure that they're represented more so. Yeah. But we'll we'll see what how that actually transpires and what it looks like. All right, we're taking our first question, which is actually a video from creator Tejas Huller. Hey, Colin, it's Samir. My name is Tejas. I'm a short form creator, primarily on TikTok. I recently had a video that went ultra viral on the series called The Dark Side of Social Media Fame. It hit over 7 million views and I gained 100,000 followers from it. I'm super grateful, don't get me wrong, but now 25% of my following is from this series. I've seen TikTok creators time and time again continue to make videos that they went viral for because it obviously gets them views. But the more they go into it, the harder it is for them to expand their brand. In the worst of these scenarios, that creator can't innovate and soon their followers just get bored of that content. What would your advice be in balancing this series and other facets of my brand and my personality? Am I overthinking this? Any input from you all would be great. Love ya. Well, I would say 
8 million views is great if that's what you're trying to do, but if it's not the content you want to make, then I wouldn't keep making it. Like I think Marquez always said the worst thing sometimes that can happen for a creator is a viral video too early. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if it's not necessarily the value that you want to provide on a consistent basis, maybe don't even provide it at all, I would say. Right? Yeah, I think you have to I think you have to try and test things. You know, it's really interesting to experiment and say like, what about these ingredients together? And then it's just like, boom, that's that's eight million views. That's a viral video. We ran into this a couple times where we would make content that would do extremely well in the millions of views, but we didn't want to make it again. And that's, I, I can't sit here and say that that's not an overwhelming scenario. Because if, if your dream is to be a professional creator, if your dream is to have this as a career, then obviously the thing that's getting millions of views is the thing that you should do, you know? And that's really confusing. But at the same time, that's a fast track to burnout. Um, because at some point you're going to be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to talk about the dark side of social media. It's not what I signed up for. Um, so I would say that whatever you invest your time in, whatever you spend most of your days on and, and, and put out the most into the world, that's the most likely scenario of what you'll get the opportunity to do more of. So whatever you're working on, you have to make sure you want the opportunity to do more of it. And that's a learning lesson that I think, you know, we learned probably too late in the game, but if you want to be making, you know, a different type of content, even if it's not doing well, focus on that type of content. Can we pause for a sec? I actually just want to watch the video because I have it pulled up right now and sure. see if my perspective changes. Yeah, I've seen this video. Have you ever heard of the creator who is slowly killing himself for views? This is Nikocado Avocado, a mukbanger. He eats large meals while telling stories over it. But he wasn't always like this. In fact, when he first started YouTube, he was 150 pounds, a vegan, and a violinist. But one day he created his first mukbang and it went super viral. And soon his audience wanted more. He would eat these humongous meals every day. And as the views skyrocketed, he lost control. At first, Nikocado denied that the food was what causes weight gain, blaming it on water weight, medical conditions, and even stress. But soon, it was too much for him to handle, and now he embraces his weight for views. He is successful in social media terms, garnering enough views and subscribers to buy himself a $2.3 million apartment. But really, at what cost? This is part of a series I'm creating called The Dark Side of Social Media Fame. More coming out this week. It's not surprising that the, the piece did well. Yeah. I think this is entertainment. This is like 60 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think for Tejas, who makes greater economy content like us, that it necessarily fits for the rest of his content. But if you wanted to make a series that was like this investigative, then clearly you found a format that works. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really just up to you if it's, if, if this is the type of thing you would want to do. And, you know, it's also, it's hard to say how monetizable that is because it's sort of, it's not necessarily super brand safe content. No. And I, the thing that I think you have to take from any of these, you have to take lessons from them and then apply them to what you want to do. You know, like the, the reality is audiences react to things that have more tension in them and that have more potential, like negative content is going to get more viewership than positive content. That's like, that's a fact. So, you know, it's easy to slip into doing negative content, but if that's not something that you want to do, then you're not going to be happy doing it. So that, that that's the reality is like pull the lessons from it. Tension is really good in content. Try and find tension in what you're doing. 
like build more attention into the positive educational stuff that you do want to do. And I also think what's really important is, are you okay with 10,000 or 100,000 people watching your stuff regularly? The answer should be yes, to be honest, because I think you can build really strong businesses with a dedicated audience base. I don't think you need or want 8 million people watching every time. Just a different business. And you're going to have to do things that are completely different. Yeah. So that's my answer to that. This comes from our Reddit, which uh, is closing in on 500 members, Colin. 500 members of r slash Colin and Samir. Amazing. What a wild ride this has been. Um, question is, should I consider a second channel for shorts? Hi, Colin. Hi, Samir. Recently, I started post posting more shorts on my main channel. The ratio is like five shorts to one video. And it does bring in some views, but at the same time, it's kind of confusing when searching for a regular video. I saw you guys are posting shorts on your main channel. Is there a reason you're doing so? Here's what I'll say. I'll call back to that study that YouTube put out that we spoke about at the beginning of the episode. In there, they have a statistic that 59% of Gen Z agree that they use short videos to discover things they will watch longer videos of. So I would recommend that if you're going to put videos on your main channel, and we've probably said this before in the past, but the value prop should be the same. So the effect that you have on the person who's watching, the topic that you're covering should be the same as the longer form videos. For us, the reason we put our short form videos on our main channel is because all of them are about creators and all of them hopefully teach you something about the business of being a creator. So if someone comes across a short video, they like it, they can go to our channel and watch a long one and they're going to get the same sort of effect and the same feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for us also, our shorts have been the biggest driver of subscribers. I mean, we had a short that gave us 50,000 subscribers. Um, and the amazing thing is that as our subscribers are growing, our overall channel viewership's growing. And a lot of that is because of what Colin just said, that it's matched expectations. If you like it in short form, you probably are going to like our longer format content. So if you're subscribing, then your expectations are going to be matched. I think that's really important. Um, so that's what I would say. Keep going if, you know, the content is matching. You know, I'm not too concerned about the fact that there's a bunch of shorts on our channel. I really am not because I think it's adding new audience and feeding into our longer form content. Can I give you a gripe? Please. As you were answering that, I was mulling around in my head do I, I was saying, do I have a gripe? I really want to have a gripe. It feels QR like code menus at restaurants. I just don't like it. I think it makes everyone immediately on their phone and it brings a culture of having your phone out at dinner. I don't think you should have your phone out at dinner. Yeah, I agree with that. I think. Let's go back. I mean, like, listen, maybe there's some environmental considerations here, but like, let's go back to the paper menu. Then we're all on the same page. We all have this paper in front of us. We're showing it to each other. We're like. Or if it's a more casual place, you know, you got the menu up on the wall. That's a McDonald's. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the environment. You know, once you brought it up, now I feel bad. Now, sure, I'm, but now maybe I'm the, overthinking put it. Put it on maybe. like avocado paper or something. I don't know. It was you amazing. Know? Was the first time I saw my dad after the pandemic had started, which was maybe a year, year plus. Okay. I see him and we go somewhere and the QR code is on the table and he doesn't know how to interact with it. Yeah. He's yeah. like, what is this? Trying to push it as a button or something? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, dad, you made it through the entire <laughs> pandemic without using a QR code, experiencing yeah. <laughs> this QR code. What is happening? That's pretty amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That's impressive, actually. Yeah. 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 That is impressive. But yeah, I, I could do without QR codes at restaurants. Well, you know what? I'm fine with the QR codes, but I would like a little bit more creativity in the designs. 
Mm. It's just getting stale. I don't. They all look the same, Smear. Yeah, I don't think you could. I don't think that. Couldn't they be more interesting? Speaking of creativity, could I scan a photo of a of a interesting looking dog? And uh, that would take me to the menu. I don't have time for this. Okay. okay. There's all a right. question from Reddit uh, on that uh, in terms of interesting looking designs. It says Colin and Samir merch question mark. Where do you go get the press publish Colin and Samir merch? You know, it probably is rude that you wear the publish hat in every video that no one can buy. How is that rude? Because, well, what was great was that Tommy Innit was in our office yesterday and he wanted one of those and we did have one. Um, so we do have a few that we're giving out to creators, but they are not for sale. That was, I mean, we had two left yeah. when I was looking through that box so it didn't, and one was filthy. I think it was yours. One was actually- Oh, how dirty. dare you? Well, I have a filthy hat up there? It was there? pretty, yeah, disgusting. Why, why do you think that that's like you had sweat in it. You know when a hat looks like you've sweat in it? I have not sweat in a published hat. Well, Just someone say did. that. So now we I only have, have one- I have sweaty hat and I have non-sweaty hats. hat left. Just so you know. All this to say that we did a limited drop of merch yeah. and you could only buy it in a certain period of time and now you can't. But we are working on merch. We are. Colin and I just put together a mood board for our next drop. And I'm very excited to see what comes of it. And it was moody. It was very moody, but I, I cannot wait to drop merch again. I'm very excited. So um, it will be coming out again this year. But just know, if you want Colin and Samir merch, if you want this press published merch, it's going to be limited. That's how we do it. So if like you want it months later, it was gone. It's gone. You're doing something with your voice right now. Okay. You're channeling... Nick and Jack from Snacks coming off those two episodes. Maybe. You are. Yeah, I like, they have good radio voices. Yeah, very engaging to listen to their voices. Yeah, you're becoming a little bit of Nick. I, I think their voices are great. So they, I'm happy they, to hear that. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. On limited run merchandise, I wanted to bring up a creator who launched a new brand this week, which is Mark Rober, who launched Crunch Labs. And what he did with this is he launched a subscription box, which is... $30 a month, and it's geared towards eight to 12 year olds. Essentially, like you get materials on how to build things, like engineering. There's 12 toys in total. And like you get to follow along in the YouTube content. It's a great idea. And it also feeds into this super great opportunity for Mark for, you know, subscription, which is monthly recurring revenue. And that's like, that's a huge business opportunity for Mark Rover. I think it's super cool. Uh, it's a great idea. I think it competes directly with some brands that are out there right now that are succeeding. Yeah, it competes with KiwiCo. Kiwi yeah, yeah, which sends you, you know, similar to Crunch Labs, a box, and it's either an experiment or a toy that you can build. But you know, I got KiwiCo for my nieces and nephews, and it it just comes with old-fashioned instructions on paper, not even a QR code. Doesn't come with Mark. Doesn't come, and it doesn't come with Mark Rober. So the idea here is that you'll get one toy a month that, you know, when it arrives in the box, you watch a tutorial with Mark, who's very engaging, obviously, mm -hmm. and makes videos for a living, and he's an aerospace engineer, or he was. And as a kid, you get to follow along with him as well as watch his other videos. So I think it's like a perfect match for his business. So, like incredibly good match. And I think for our next merch review, which is a series we do on YouTube where we review creators merch and give our opinion on it. I'd love to go to crunch labs because the video that he made makes it feel like this Willy Wonka or like fantasy factory place. Yeah. Uh, it's its own company with its yeah. own HQ that has, I think a ball pit, you got a foam pit that you can jump into. It's sure. got all types love of love to jump into that foam pit. So, 
I think this is really interesting because I think it brings up this opportunity for creators to funnel their audience into a more traditional looking business. And I've been thinking about this a lot with the conversation around economic downturn and recession, where it's like, how much expense and how much overhead do you want to connect to your YouTube channel versus to a business that is benefiting from your YouTube channel? So for example, like Mark can hire a lot more people in Crunch Labs, and that's connected to the revenue that's being generated from Crunch Labs, not necessarily hire people within the YouTube channel, because that then connects the pressure of the YouTube channel and uploading to these employees' salaries. And I think that's a really interesting thought as we move forward that creators, it is smart for them to build a company that you can you know, funnel your audience into and, and create a business out of so that your hiring potentially could be done inside of that company. Yeah, and the cool thing is here, you know, Mark is obviously the key marketing engine for Crunch Labs. Mm-hmm. But if he were to take a break, even for six months to a year, he could advertise and integrate with other creators like Simone Yetch. Right. Or unnecessary inventions. There are similar creators to Mark that he definitely knows that how cool would it be if they could yeah. promote his product? And Logan Paul did this with Prime, yeah, right? Yeah, he just did this with Prime with Gideon. He just, uh, he's building a Prime squad. I, my, one of my first thoughts was, I want to be on the Prime squad. And then I was like, we're not really Prime squad vibes not, not at all. Prime material. No, not Prime no. material. But what I will say is, you know, what we're doing with the published press, our newsletter, we're about to start sponsoring creators. Oh yeah. And I'm really pumped about it. We just, you know, we're working through our first sponsorship with a creator named Ryan Ying. Uh, You're just going to drop that? Yeah, for sure. I think we should track this story about okay. how we're doing this. Like okay. we're really, Ryan's an, an awesome creator. He's a great filmmaker, great storyteller, and we want to support him. And now we have an opportunity to do that. I think yeah. that's super cool. So we're working out that deal and we will keep you guys informed. As I that. think we're going to learn a lot too about what it's like to be on the other the side. The other side. Yeah. All right. This question comes from Reddit as well. Uh, does watch time and view duration for shorts affect the shorts bonus? We actually were talking about this just today in Slack because we found that two shorts of ours, both of which had around a million views, had drastically different dollar amounts to them. One of them made $10 and the other made $850. Yeah. That's very drastic for two Incredibly videos. Incredibly drastic. That made the same, that did the same amount of viewership, both short form. But from what we understand, the longer shorts that are above 30 seconds, mm-hmm. those are long enough that YouTube is playing pre roll ads on them sometimes when they play in the desktop version. And that that's where some of that money is coming from. And that if they're low, if they're under yeah. 30 seconds, doesn't look like YouTube is playing any ads on this. Yeah, this is a bit of speculation for us, but in aggregate for the shorts that have been posted in the past month, the ones that are over 30 seconds have generated $1,500. And that's not from the shorts bonus. That's from like AdSense. Yeah. And the ones that are below have generated $17 in aggregate. And then our shorts bonus this this month was $300. Pretty low compared to what we typically get. And like well, our shorts weren't doing as well for a long period of time. Yeah, I so guess so. It, it could make sense. Yeah. I think, you know, it's really hard to tell when it's, it comes to monetization with shorts. I, yeah, and I don't I don't think when you look at shorts right now, you as a creator should be thinking about shorts as a tool for monetization. I think some creators have, have solved that. You know, like Isaiah Photo is a great example who's done millions, hundreds and millions of views of 
uh, shorts viewership and he's like driving really good monetization with it. But for us, it's not been something that we've looked at from a monetization lens. It's been something that we've looked at from a growth lens. And I think using shorts as growth uh, and subscriber growth and brand growth, that's a, that's a really good opportunity. It's completely from a marketing perspective. If you had a low lift way to get your brand in front of a million people, sometimes 10 million people, yeah, wouldn't you do that? You would take it. Even yeah. if you didn't get directly paid for it, you're, yep. I mean, you're potentially making money off of mm-hmm. having that many eyeballs and that many people being exposed to your brand. Totally. All right. This one also comes from the Reddit, which is a similar question. It said, is there an ultimate guide to YouTube shorts that I can read slash watch? I got to say, we've been talking about making courses re- recently. I would love to make a course about everything we've learned about YouTube shorts. Or just about short form video in general. Yeah. Or like how to make compelling short form video. We have some videos that have 10 million or 20 million views in shorts uh, as well as those videos have performed on TikTok. So I wonder if there's something there, especially because did you see that Facebook um, announced their uh, Facebook Reels monetization? And there's some creators who are making really good money on Facebook Reels. So this like the short form vertical content world is really fascinating. And we're also now starting to explore and work on having a snap show. Um, so taking our content and reformatting it and, and recutting it for snap. So I think vertical content, when you look at it, that's like the majority of output for creators right now. And it's the biggest growth driver and brand driver to make long form content. So it's kind of like the gatekeeper for audience growth. Mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So that's a, that's a good question. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you that is there an ultimate guide to YouTube shorts? No, but maybe we'll make one. Who knows? All right. This last question comes from Reddit as well. Uh, when to promote brand? I'm a men's fashion YouTuber with 5,000 subs who's recently had success with the series on my channel. The videos in the series are averaging 100,000 views. Wow. With 5,000 subs? And the most viral has nearly 300,000. I also run a men's denim brand and I haven't promoted it on the channel yet. I'm wanting to know when's the best time to tell my audience about this. Should I wait for a certain sub count to get that social proof or am I overthinking this entire situation? Love the pod. Thanks. First off, that's a great situation that's to amazing. be in. I mean, to have a series, a format, to find that content market mm-hmm. fit essentially where you know you like it, the audience seems to like it, the algorithm likes it, that's... That's great because for us, that was really the beginning of what felt like our career truly taking off. Agreed. And I would say, you know, I wouldn't mess with your format too much right now, but I would try and first off, find a way for the denim brand to work into the show. I don't know what your show is, right? but I think the first thing you should be thinking about is, you know, can this denim brand be a character in my series without having to change what makes the series great? If you can't do that, then I would think about how to break up the video as if you had an ad integration. Like, you know, if you were to advertise, where would you put it? How would you do it? And considering you're so early on, use your own brand right now as that opportunity. For sure. I think the value though, is that if you're a men's fashion YouTuber and you own a men's denim brand, I'd have to imagine you can organically integrate this. You would have to think, yeah. And I think your opportunity, you would, it would be, just such a missed opportunity to add this early, add this character early of your denim brand. Like, tell me that that's why you started a YouTube channel or like be transparent with me that that's what you work on outside of doing the YouTube channel because that has the opportunity for people to get just as connected to that brand as they are to you from an early early stage. 
and build with the brand. Like you want to see a character develop and seeing the brand develop with you, that's interesting. Yeah, I would say just be honest about what the intention is too. Is it is it is the reason you want to talk about it to have people support it? Right. That's fine. Simone Yetch did that in, mm -hmm. you know, in our video about her, the Swedish inventor, she launched a design studio where people could buy products, some of the products that she built in her videos. And there's a great quote from her where she says, you know, this having you support me is actually just about me getting to live the life I want to live. Yes. Exactly. And that's like, we, we all can relate to that. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot with our newsletter and being like, how do we, how do we add that more in? Cause that's, it's yeah. a business that we're trying to build. We're trying to be more transparent around it, but I understand it's hard. I just would say that, you know, it's harder for us in our format to naturally, you know, bring up subscribe CTAs to the newsletter. Um, so, you know, we need to work on this too, but I would say if you, if you can solve that, that's your biggest opportunity as a creator, you know, like it, it, it's, it's how it's going to grow. It's the same way that Casey Neistat built beam. It's the same way Emma Chamberlain's building Chamberlain coffee. Like the successful creators make their brand a character in their universe. And in this kind of world of, and, and in the spirit of being transparent, I'll also say right now that if you're listening to this pod and you made it to the end here and you don't subscribe to our newsletter, The Published Press, it would be great if you could subscribe. If you're into this stuff, the stuff that we're talking about, you'll likely be into The Published Press. It's three emails a week. Um, you're going to learn about the latest news in the creator economy. And um, I think it would be great if you subscribed. We're also trying to get to 100,000 subscribers on that newsletter by the end of the year. Now, we also aren't just trying to get to 100,000 subscribers just to get to 100,000. Like we want these to be people who are interested in the creator economy, which is why I say, if you're listening to this show and you make it to this point, subscribe to the newsletter. I think you'll be into it. All right, we're gonna head to VidCon and see if any chocolate milk brands wanna pick us up. Man, what a redemption story that would be. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to come for you, chocolate milk industry. Because guess what? What? We are still casually in shape. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. Right.